Welcome to Hub and Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub and Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of NGI's Hub and Flow. I'm Letitia Gonzalez, Price and Markets Editor at Natural Gas Intelligence. Joining me today is Diana Liebman, a partner at law firm Haynes & Boone. Diana specializes in energy law and has broad transactional experience and an in-depth focus on the details of wholesale and retail power regulation and market structure. Diana, welcome to NGI's Hub and Flow. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great. We're excited to have you. Um, now, I know you're joining us from San Antonio, so so you're no stranger to the long, hot summer that it's already been here in Texas. And, you know, it's only August 1st, so that actually means we still are only about halfway through the season. In both July and even in June, we saw several stretches of 100-degree weather that drove up power loads and really put the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, or ERCOT, as the market knows the grid operator, really put them to the test. Now, the lights have indeed stayed on throughout these bouts of really extreme weather, but the grid operator still seems to have had its challenges. And as we saw in June and July, there were several times where ERCOT did make a plea for conservation. Um, So can you talk a little bit why this was and why they had to reach out to the public on so many days this summer already? Sure. And a, a couple of things on that. First, one of the things that was changed after Winter Storm Uri was the order of communicating with the public. So the idea that we were going to call for conservation after we were already in an emergency event, when we may be able to avoid getting into an emergency event by calling for conservation, that was something that was changed after Winter Storm Uri. So now, if it looks like grid conditions are going to be worsening, the the call to the public to respond is going to happen earlier. So we're going to see that a lot more often than we did in the past, because in the past, ERCOT would do everything it could to try to stay out of emergency. But if we got to that point where we were in emergency, then they were going to call for help. So the number of times that we got calls for help was a lot less than it will be going forward. And I think that's a good thing because it brings a public awareness to the situation And it also gives ERCOT another tool in its toolbox. Right. No, that's definitely true. And I know myself, for one, as soon as I see that plea come out, I'm, you know, closing my blinds and turning up my thermostat, unplugging my air fryer. So definitely a good step in the right direction. What are some of the other important changes that ERCOT and even the Public Utility Commission that they made after URI that are already in place this summer? So there have been a a number of different changes that have occurred. One of them is the way the market is operated. So ERCOT is taking what they refer to as the conservative approach for market operations, where they have generating capacity stay online for longer and have more capacity available than is necessarily required to meet the the day-to-day demand of the system. 
And so the operation of the grid is different. That has consequences economically for consumers who pay more for that and also for resources or generators that get run harder during those periods as well. But that is that is one significant operational change. There have been other changes to the market rules that are intended to support the ERCOT grid, m- much in the same way as the conservation call is earlier than emergency. We used to have two other services, the load resource service, which is the larger industrial loads that would come offline in an emergency situation. And some of the smaller industrial and 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 not necessarily industrial loads that would come off as an emergency response service when we got into an emergency period. Those two rules dealing with the the load resource and the emergency response service have now been changed. So we actually deploy ERS, emergency response service, and load resource prior to entering into an emergency event for the same reason that you want to stay out of emergency if you can. Correct. Okay, well, good. So definitely seeing more resources online and keeping those on those online and then also calling on those that can to kind of scale back a little bit just to keep more energy on the grid. So that's great. And with respect to the, the load resource service, another major change that came out of URI is that we saw during winter storm URI that load resources were activated. So they exited the market. So they were not taking power from the market. And some of those load resources were also natural gas producers and pipelines and shippers. And the problem with that was that at the time we went into winter storm URI, we needed every molecule of gas that we could find for natural gas fired generation. And so one of the things that's been changed is that now if you are a critical natural gas load, you should not be incentivized to exit the market during an extreme weather event. And so that has been a, a big change is those those loads are no longer allowed to drop off because we want them to stay on, even though they consume power, we want them to provide natural gas so that we can have natural gas generation that is serving the market. So that's another big change. Right. Well, it's kind of like the chicken or the egg. You know, we do know that you are consuming power, but we need you to consume the power so that you can then produce the natural gas that's also needed to support the grid. So that's great. I know that the PUC and then the Texas Railroad Commission, they put forth some weatherization guidelines for certain oil and natural gas facilities. What does this entail and and what are the next steps in moving forward that proposal? So the the Public Utility Commission of Texas developed pretty detailed rules. And as as part of that, they required both the power generation companies and the transmission service providers to implement weatherization requirements. They started with the 2011 weatherization report. After the 2011 events, there were reports that were issued by FERC, uh, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and NERC, the North American Electric Reliability Council, to talk about changes that needed to be made for weatherization purposes. And so the first step of the phase one weatherization rule implemented by the Public Utility Commission was to make mandatory those recommendations from 2011 
And that rule also required that anything that had happened during Winter Storm Uri, that if there was an issue that arose, that that issue needed to be corrected as part of the weatherization plan. So that was phase one. Then for phase two, that is now just beginning. So the commission has opened its phase two weatherization rulemaking. They're going to be seeking comments on um, how they should further pursue weatherization. And one thing that will make a difference for that is that in the interim, the mapping committee has developed the critical care map. So that traces um, the critical care facilities, whether those are, for example, gas facilities that are serving um, power generation facilities. It traces them from the, the fuel supply all the way to the output. And that allows the commission to see exactly which facilities are going to be critical so it can, can craft better its weatherization requirements associated with critical facilities. Early on in the process, both the Railroad Commission and the Public Utility Commission had developed critical care guidelines. It wasn't really until after this mapping committee put together its map and and actually identified what those were going to be, that there could really be some, some work on that. So the Public Utility Commission had already required emergency operation plans to be filed. The Railroad Commission has just recently required emergency operation plans of its jurisdictional entities to be filed. And now that the mapping committee has completed the map, there will be another look at how we make sure that that critical infrastructure is being properly weatherized. On the Railroad Commission side, There was not a weatherization rule in the same way as you saw on the Public Utility Commission side. Instead, the Railroad Commission had made available an opt-out. So if you wanted to to pay this de minimis administrative fee, you could opt out and not weatherize and not be critical. I think that has to change and likely will change now that the mapping committee has actually identified which loads truly are critical. And so I think the Railroad Commission will probably be doing some more work in that regard, but it did require for those those critical loads to put together a, a weatherization program. All right. Well, it's certainly not an easy task. Definitely a lot of stakeholders involved and, you know, good that there's, you know, ongoing dialogue and and seeking the public comment. These are all good things and really checking the boxes and, and doing the due diligence to ensure that we have the right resources that are tapped as critical so that we can ensure that those supplies are are there when we need them most. Are there any other things that ERCOD and, you know, the PUC, the Texas Railroad Commission, all of these agencies, are there, are there any other things that they should consider in trying to ensure that we do have more resources in the generation stack? There are several things that they have been reviewing and analyzing, and I think they like the phase one, phase two structure because they've also been doing that with respect to elements of of reliability in in the ERCOT market structure. So they put together after a lot of comments and participation by a number of, of market participants and the public, a blueprint of what the initial 
requirement should be for moving forward in the market. I think the the conservative approach wasn't was somewhat of an outgrowth of of that, but this blueprint has a, a second phase to it that is for the long term health and stability of the market. One of the main things that went wrong during URI is that there was no excess capacity. And when I say capacity, there are sort of two ways that you have to look at a, at a generation resource. One is the energy that it generates. You have an input for that is, is the fuel source. And then you have the output is the energy that gets put on the grid. But beyond that, there is a whole host of other costs that are associated with making sure that that plant, that resource is available to run. And that's the administrative and general expense. It's the ability to be maintained properly so that it can generate power. It's it's all the installed costs that are associated with the unit. And in an energy-only market, you're only rewarded for as available energy. So there's no recognition in the energy only market that having a reserve, basically an insurance policy against outages has value. And so there there were times in the past where ERCOT and the Public Utility Commission had considered possibly doing something to make sure that we had uh, reserves, to make sure that we had that insurance policy. And at the time, the the feedback was always that it was it was too expensive to do something like that. In retrospect, looking at the damage caused by Winter Storm Uri, um, the amount of money that it would have cost at the time to put in place something that would have a reliability standard, which ERCOT is the only market that, that really doesn't have any true reliability standard in the U.S. And, and then secondly, to develop reserve capacity around that reliability standard, that would have been very, very inexpensive compared to what we saw with Winter Storm Uri and by orders of magnitude, you know, by by thousands. So, and maybe even millions because Winter Storm Uri was in the tens of billions of dollars. And that of course doesn't even measure the intangible, but but probably more important loss of life that we saw during Winter Storm Uri. So there are, are things that, that could have been done earlier that were not, that I think the commission is trying to analyze and get their arms around for a phase two implementation for longer term reliability standards. And there have been a number of proposals that have been have been floated for that. One is this dispatchable energy credit that requires all of the load serving entities to essentially contract with or purchase a, a dispatchable energy credit that that would cover some of the costs associated with having to dispatch energy that, that can be dispatched, that can be available when you call on it. It's different from say, you know, wind energy that's more reliant on on wind rather than than a fuel per se. So those types of proposals are being studied. Another is this load serving entity obligation that would require all the retail electric providers or load serving entities to negotiate with generators to buy essentially capacity that covers the load that they are responsible for serving. And my client has a a proposal as well 
that's a reliability service that would require a, a mandatory reserve standard be set and a reserve margin be met as an insurance policy going forward. So there are several different ones that are being considered a totally different proposal that is a firm fuel service is is being in the process of being implemented. And and so that's going to already make more immediate changes. But there are a number of different proposals and we won't have the results of the study of those proposals probably for another couple of months. And what makes all of this very interesting is the timing is going to be right before another legislative session in which the Public Utility Commission of of Texas is going to undergo sunset review, which really is a, a deep dive into the agency and the operations. And these issues, I'm sure, are going to be at the top of the list. Oh, and for sure. Well, and that was actually what, you know, my next question is when could we expect to see some of these proposals, you know, actually, you know, moving forward? So, I mean, it looks like we're, we need to just buckle up uh, for the long haul. This is certainly, like I said, not an easy issue to resolve very quickly. And we want to make sure that our regulators and, and agencies are, 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 truly, you know, examining every aspect and, and and putting the health and safety of the residents of Texas, you know, first and foremost. So, well, Diana, that was, that was great insight into all of the issues. Well, not even all of the issues, I should say. I believe we probably just, you know, we're on the cusp of everything. We could probably talk for another 20 minutes, but I really appreciate your time. That was a lot of great insight. And for you, our listeners, To keep up with the latest on ERCOT and other news that impacts the natural gas industry, please visit our website at naturalgasintel.com and be on the lookout for more podcasts on NGI's Hub & Flow. On behalf of Diana and myself, thank you for joining us today. You take care. Thank you, Diana. Thank you. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly, or bid-week pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.